Stories with Inspiring People. Episode 3 Animal Lovers. Whatever is going on, you can find a way to interpret it. Hey, he was the original Bob Dylan. My process is to open things up so that we can all develop it together. Keep waking up curious. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Flute Talks. You're listening to the episode when Anne LaBerge, whom I met online first. She was a member of the faculty of Sonic Immersion. By the way, shout out to Shanna. Great program. Um, so Anna Burge, whom I met online, invited me for a talk in the beautiful Splendor in Amsterdam. Uh, Splendor is this very cool experimental venue founded by 50 musicians playing many different genres and, and their public. So this is also not only experimental in sound, but also experimental in the kind of organization. Uh, it's, a, it's the project of a community. And, and you can feel it. As soon as you enter the building, you can feel the warmth of the big family spirit. So here we go. I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I did enjoy talk with Anne. Anne Laberge. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for receiving me here at Splendor for this interview. On your website, it says you're a flutist, an improviser, and a composer. We met in um, the Sonic Immersion this summer, and it's really uh, stroke me how you were really uh, passionate about researching uh, all sort of things about flute and going further and also how you were able to transmit it. Would you say that it, it, it has always been a passion for you of transmitting new things, of always researching and going further? Yes. One of the things about being curious is that it, it's coupled with invention. Because a curious, I mean, to me, when I get curious about something, I, I'm in, interested in what makes it tick. And then what happens is that I'm also interested in if you turn it upside down or make it go backwards or do something to it that is, isn't apparently the way to use it or the way to think about it, then I can see different facets of, I mean, we're talking about something very abstract right now, but what then happens is that I feel a responsibility to embody my research. If we, so if we take this right now to the flute, when I was very young, I would try things out. And it wouldn't be, it would be that your, uh, my teacher would tell me to do certain things. So then I would do those. And then I would think, well, what if I did it upside down? You know, keep it a secret. Do it upside down, do it another way. And then invent a way to have a fantasy within that. Kids do that 
all the time. <laughs> they invent people. And so I didn't really give that up. And it's, it, it's part of me. <laughs> I'm imagining you as a kid uh, turning the pieces, trying to play them backwards or trying to maybe already find new sounds on the flute. How did it start? The, not necessarily playing backwards, but when I, was, well, when I was young, we lived out in the country. We had a, a driveway that was half a mile that we had to walk in after the bus dropped us off. So that was like a half hour walk out in the country. And so I would think, well, how about if I sing Mo in the style of Mozart? And I was like a, you know, 10 year old. Wow. Let me sing, because, or let me sing some Bach. Okay, let's do Bach for like 20 minutes, or let's be a, a secret agent singing um, Beethoven. And it's because I was raised cla as a classical musician, these were my references. But then as far as then extending that into new music, it was, it, it was just part of my life right at the beginning of college, at the end of high school, to try things out. To go, to go, for instance, into a library or a music store, buy a piece of music that I had no clue what it was, uh, and do it. I had I have my first Berio Sequenza when I played the Berio Sequenza. I had a, such a great teacher, Frank Bowen, who in Albuquerque. So I, I moved out of the mainstream. I went to the Wild West. And he was willing to grapple with whatever we were going to grapple with. And he did play new music. He, but not, that wasn't his driving force. So I brought in the Barrier Sequenza, and I really learned it, and, I'm, and I was really going for it. And on my copy was a blot of ink that was like some, you know, just a, blot, a blotch of ink in the, within the staff. And it's after a week, after like two lessons, he goes, what are you doing there? <laughs> and I said, I'm playing that. <laughs> and it was like just a mistake. And so to me, that was, that w was such a wonderful moment to remember that whatever is going on, you can find a way to interpret it. Mis things that are mistakes, things that are real, things that are not real, things that are in your imagination. And that was... Uh, that's always been part of my world. Now a little excerpt of Rolling by Anne Labers.
in the physics of a tube, it actually is, is the processing your sound already. And you can do suck on it, you can blow on it, you can sing through it, you can have the keys work, and it's all then respecting the tube as being its own magical essence. And then we are a bunch of tubes, you know, we have our vocal tract and our noses and our tongue. We have all this, that, and then we breathe. So we're also a bunch of mechanisms. And whatever, however we can recombine them all is a respect for both machines. True. Wow, never saw it that way. Uh, yeah, sort of equal, right? Equal, yeah, and that we're all, the, the flute is a person. Yes. It's a, it's a characterization, it's a thing, but, but characterized. And then we are machines, because we're technical also. True. Um, I have another question. Uh, being born in the USA and coming to uh, the Netherlands, would you now say that um, musically for you some things were impossible in the USA that were possible uh, in uh, in Amsterdam? You always lived in Amsterdam, right? Yes, we always we moved to Amsterdam directly, yeah. or or the other way around. Yeah, like I don't know, country-wise, what are the difference that struck you? Uh, particularly? Well, when I moved to Holland, I had a, I still have, although it's changed, you know, with different developments, I had a, quite a big, big sound with some buzz and air. And the flute sound, when I first came, was more like a recorder sound. It was a very pure sound. And so I, I was told I wasn't going to be able to play here as a flutist in a certain part of the culture. <laughs> okay. Because I had, um, I had a, yeah, a different sound. Mm. And as that was a sound in the United States that was completely uh, acceptable, completely admired. So I got most of my first work in Germany with Ensemble Modern. Uh, because that ensemble had a different uh, overtone culture. Wind, wind, wind culture was much more international culture there. And that, so that was one thing that was very interesting to me was to understand that even within Northern Europe, there were sound cultures of the instruments that had went way back and that I, I had to navigate within that. What the other incredibly positive part was that even improvisers at that time were financially supported, which meant that whatever I wanted to do to write a grant, if I could couch it in the right vocabulary and the right intention, I could find funding for unusual projects and respect. In the United States, it's much more difficult to uh, find support, and most of the support comes through the academic institutions. And I, for years, in, in living in Holland, have not taught 
as, as a way to uh, support myself. I've done master classes, coaching, touring, but I haven't been, had to be on a faculty to be a musician, to be an artist. So I, those, that was uh, liberating, incredibly liberating. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm um, more in a different part of my career, I've, I've been asked to do more and more at the Royal Conservatory in The Hague. And it's so wonderful to sit in front of either a small class or a private session and say, well, you know, what's so interesting to me is I have not been on a faculty for very many years. And art and music to me don't necessarily mean what my teacher taught me. And those, or, and then how to impart what my teacher taught me. And so that's, that's been a different path. And maybe it allowed uh, even more research and maybe it also suited you as an artist. Um, freedom. Freedom. The, because here I can be an improviser, a professional improviser, a professional composer-performer, someone who plays my own work and other people's work, and a composer, and, and a flute player that just plays stuff that people give me. And all of that can be mixed in, a, in an environment that um, composites the meanness. And in the United States, it's much more difficult because financial panic is, is often um, there. Yes. I don't know if the other people you're interviewing have spoken about finance at all as being part of how to... Mm, not really. Um, I'm also attaching it to maybe a cultural big thing about work, about finance, and maybe people are living finance differently in the USA and here in Europe. Yeah, they are. They are. Generally. And in, in Europe, we, we've been able to, to call ourselves artists. That's who we are. Yes. And now a small excerpt of one of Anne's pieces with electronics. The piece is called Utter and was released on the label Dan.
Joe reached her fingers further down into Sid's throat. She pushed and shoved her hand at Sid's guts. Then Joe heard that Sid was silent. Could you uh, talk again for our listeners how you started to compose and also with electronics? Yeah. And, and why it was so important to you at that time? The well, one, one part of my story is that when I was 18, I was sitting around with my great aunt, and she said, you shouldn't be a flute player because when they die, they don't go down in history. You should be a composer. <laughs> and I said to my great aunt, there are no women composers. That is not an option for me. And as, as life progressed, as the world changed, as, as different things opened up and closed, then I was in, I suppose we could say I was in, in between the University of Illinois and then being a freelancer in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I was playing, improvising with people. Mm -hmm. And I, my friends, this may be the story you remember, my friends at Frog Peak Music said, we're starting a publishing company, so write something down. So then I wrote down uh, basically what one of my improvs was. And then they said, quite soon after that, we're starting a record label, so make a, make a CD. So then I had to have more pieces. <laughs> and so I had to, in a way, take my, my improvisations and codify them into uh, guided improvisations that would be considered compositions. Mm -hmm. And that was all uh, over a period, I would say, of five to 10 years of developing that practice where I could call myself a composer. And now even, as you ask that question, I think, I think about the word composer. And one of my, my real hopes is that the, the, the name composer will evolve where making stuff is, part, is considered part of that word rather than when someone says, oh, you're a composer, what kind of stuff do you make? They don't say that, oh, you're a composer. Who do you write for? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a symphony coming soon? And, and so that word composer, I would love to see have a change. Because in some ways, I'm not a composer composer. I make scores that are computer programs that are f films uh, that are time, time scales with text. I do write notes sometimes, but, but just the idea that uh, the creative process with sound to involve other people is, could be the ground for that word now. I guess it uh, should come with a change within the musical world. It's uh, attached to different things. I have this feeling that um, I cannot maybe really well define it, but there is this something also that doesn't still, I mean, I speak for, for my experience in Belgium, doesn't allow women still to go that far there is this something and maybe it's in 
how composition works and how we imagine composition should be. I mean, as women. Yes. Yeah. And also as improviser. And there's a whole intersection of things. Yeah, there's a canon mm -hmm. that we... If we think of how long the canon has been... So what are we going back to? Like Plato? And that's... <laughs> That's quite some time. He was a singer-songwriter, you know. Hey, he was the original Bob Dylan. So if we go back there and we look at how we define composer, if we were going to say now, okay, let's change it. Let's say uh, the beginning of the 20th century. So we're, it's now 2021. But if we go back to the beginning of the 20th century, say we change it. What do we have? Do we have like, we have a thousand, two thousand? We have two thousand years to change something that we think could be, would be a useful evolution for the arts. But if we think of how long it's been, uh, not necessarily patriarchal, but it's been given the, the male has been, it's been a maleness. And we wouldn't necessarily say um, cis-hetero, but we would say male. Mm -hmm. As far as how we, in any case, record who's getting credit. And I was, I was on a panel a couple days ago for women in music Oh. at the conservatory, and, and I was the keynote speaker, and they gave me five minutes to be a keynote speaker, so I had to, like, burst out. And one of my, my story, my basic story was that we, we women now, because we see that we could, we could hang with the men, it would be possible the last maybe 100 years, we see that possibility. So I made sure I could uh, run fast, kick a ball, throw a ball, uh, play the flute louder than a trombone. I could carry all my equipment. I could do almost all my programming. Now, all my programming without, you know. And so then I walk into the room and there are the men. Are they going to say, great, you're one of us? Are they going to say that? <laughs> no. So then that's why I'm saying the word composer. We maybe need to change that into sound maker with structures. I, there could, mm -hmm. Because our, our whole imagery of composer is still male. Even though we, there are many female composers, they're the other. They're not, you know, they can kick a ball pretty well, almost as well as a man. <laughs> they can play the flute almost pretty well. And so even all that quality judgment needs to be revised. Mm -hmm. And it may take 2,000 more years if we stay on the planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now an excerpt of another of Anne's pieces uh, from the 90s. The piece is called Never Again and it uses three, only three percussive sounds of the flute. Uh, they do sound electronic, but they are actually acoustic and they sound electronic by the way and uses the microphone.
now more about Krachleuden and Splendor, two places that are very important in Anne's artistic life. The Krachgeluiden, which in Dutch means crackle sounds, although krach in Dutch means to squat, like squat a building. So in a way it's saying squat crackle sounds. Did start in a squat, and that was when I was working with musicians that were improvisers using electronics, and the improv scene didn't want us to be part of their sessions. So I, with a couple other people, chose to go into a squat and start a series where electronics was electroacoustic, improvising was the priority. And that went on for seven years. And we developed a scene. In fact, we became a, play, a stopping place for people worldwide because where can you play electroacoustic music improv in a major city. And that came to a close because it was time for me to step out because it had its curve. Um, for one, I, I, my, most of my friends were moving on in, other, in their life and, and an, another crowd was coming in and it was time to give them the whole thing. This splendor was started completely independently, but I know I'm brought, I was brought in because I, had, I was part of the Amsterdam scene of producing and gathering and working hard for the sector. But this was started by actually a bass player in the radio orchestra. Oh who is a real driver. He's left us now because he needs to start and move things, and we've become more established in a way. It's clear we're going to survive for a little while. The, the idea was to have a place where we could rehearse, where we could, as a collective, work together, and where we could give informal concerts to show what we're working on. And the, the other priority was we would come from different styles to build a community that wasn't exclusive, although we're battling some ex exclusivity because we brought in an audience. Our main audience was that of, I wouldn't say the symphony, but it was that of more subgroups of the symphony because they have money they go to concerts. They also, that, that was a major part of our group that started, brought this, that audience in. And we're building other audiences along the way. And the inclusiveness has been a revelation for all of us that we play together. Right now, since COVID, we've had some well, no, even before COVID, we, once a year, we would all play together, all 50 of us, <laughs> which meant we had to make arrangements that either 10 of us could play together or we would all play together. And it, it gave us the skills and also the will to in, include other style groups as being people that 
we love to play with. And that's been for our audience a big, it's a trip, a big high. Like I'll play, I'll, I'll be on some kind of like, we call it like a blender or a, a, a night where there's a pop person and then there's a drummer, a jazz drummer, and then there's um, a couple of classic cello players. And so I was playing with a classical cellist who can improvise and a jazz drummer. And I was doing elect my electronics with flute. And there were, there were people sitting and, and they, they were certainly 80 years old, these two women, in the first row. And I thought, oh no, here we go. And then but they were like, like within six feet of me, like, or three, four meters, five meters. And after the show, they came up and said, that was so great. <laughs> All those sounds you made. I just love coming to the concerts to hear you play. And, and so for, for all of us to realize that within, um, that we, because we communicate with our audience in such a, we love them. Mm -hmm. And they love us back. And that's been, uh, it's something that we have to keep working on. But that's been a, uh, such, a, especially in the time of COVID, uh, such a rich way to keep being being a musician. That's beautiful. We have to work on love. Yeah, actually. Always. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I, th I think one of the most difficult things for us in Northern Europe is the people of color and also bringing in other people from other nationalities whose music is also so classical that to, to have us all be together is, is also working with them that they need to also stretch towards us. And that, that's been, that's one of our new focuses is just to find out how, how we can do that. Because for instance, people from Ghana Their music is very rhythmic, very um, social, but also a lot of their music doesn't exist without dancing. Yes. That the performers or the audience, and the audience is the performers, and they all dance. So how do we bring that concept that the audience is us and we're the audience, and, and where are we now in this uh, making music together? Our listeners, do we want to put them on chairs there? I don't, I'm just not sure. And, and we, we need to look at that now. Well, that it's, I, I'm, it's still a, a, an enormous project because I, Holland is, is segregated. People are welcome, but, but to find an artistic, real artistic flow is the next step. I hope so, to go from multicultural to intercultural. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, what are, what's next? What, what's the next projects that you are working on right now? I have a solo set that are, one is an older piece that was for an ensemble and video and electronics, but I've made it into a solo. And I have a piece that's a, an installation with a film and an 
app, well, not an app, but like a website that people can go to, the audience can go to, to mm. see text and to view the room, sort of like fake AI. And these two pieces need to tour. So that's something I need, I'm ready to attend to, is some solo touring again. And I won't go across the ocean this time. I'll get in a car or a train and see Europe, have Europe see me, hear me. And then I'm working on a new piece with the person that I've collaborated with quite some times, where, she, where I'm a sound artist. And she has tableaus of videos, five video screens that are on a wall. And I'll, I'm, I'm devising the sound, and I'll place little speakers all around on that wall so that people can experience space and sound as they travel mm. through that. So I'll be an installation, sound installation artist. And tomorrow, do you want to hear what I'm doing tomorrow? Yes, please. <laughs> Splendor, because Holland right now has decided that at 5 o'clock all venues close, all restaurants, all no liquor is sold, uh, and the, um, the co any concert has to be finished by 5. So what Splendor's doing is they're moving the evening concerts that have been planned to the afternoon, but they're also for our public, to keep our public feeling welcome and active in the space, from 12 to 12.15, every day, there's a performance. And tomorrow, because they didn't have anybody for tomorrow, because tomorrow is a holiday, and it's, it's Santa Claus tomorrow, it's family day tomorrow, uh, and so they were posting on Facebook, who's gonna come, who's gonna come? And so my husband and I have a lot of text from our pieces that we've written. And we also have a piece where we speak text together. So my husband and I are going to come in here in this hall, uh, this very hall tomorrow, and uh, probably at the same time recite our texts <laughs> <laughs> for 15 minutes for our public that will come and hang out. And that's, uh, you know, every, every time our government tells us that COVID is... Because of COVID, we need to do something different. We need to lock down. Splendor offers a new idea why our public can still exchange with us and be part of us. And also for Sinterklaas, you're going to be some sort of little family, I believe. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. I would like to end with a last question. Um, Would you have a, a little piece of advice, a little piece of wisdom for, uh, for younger generations of musicians, inventors, for our listeners, from what you have experienced in your life? Is... Yeah, it's to stay, keep, keep waking up curious and um, taking, listening, looking, thinking, how, how could this be different and Why would that enrich us? What's a way 
to, to bring... I, I used to say, how could we fill the gaps? But that's not it. It's not just putting glue in. It's how to keep um, rot, things bubbling, how to keep bake, the yeast in the bread. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's basically curiosity and daring then to, uh, to invent... Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you for listening to the third episode of Flute Talks. And a big, big thank you to Anne LaBerge. I hope you follow her advice and keep waking up curious. Our next episode will be with Ina Van Overen. So stay tuned. <laughs>